Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Pensacola Beach, but I kind of am. 
what I say, this is a very relaxing, age-appropriate of your own authority. Come on down, enjoy the serpent sun, and let's move on into closing the loop. Alrighty then, we're back in the hotel room on the Blue Snowball. There'll be some echoes today. Acoustics are not going to be perfect because I'm in a hotel. Mom's down at the beach. I have a limited amount of time. So less talky, more working. Next podcast, I'm going to do some mail. I did get some hate mail off the last podcast. Um, but I, I'm short on time today, so I'm not going to elaborate. We'll bump it to uh, next Tuesday's podcast when I'm back in the studio. Um, some good stuff, which is to be expected. And I'm sure after this one, I'll get some more hate mail because as we will see, um, effective today, because I'm recording this on the 18th and the 19th, uh, you know, the reality is Bannon's gone and the left is on a full purge of everything Confederate. We'll start with sports and close the loop. Clay Travis was told he's too conservative to discuss politics on TV. Yeah. So he's not allowed to. I did listen to um, Stephen A. Smith, who was going batshit crazy over this Charleston stuff. And he literally did bring a conservative on. We said he totally disagreed with everything, uh, which most of us do. But it's getting to, it's getting dangerous out there. You know, you lose your job if you don't tow and bend the knee to the cult, the religion that is progressivism. Um, North Korea, North Korea backs off Guam. Didn't hear anything about it because we're too busy going into all of this stuff. Um, you know, we, Acosta this week was playing games and was told that he was fake news. And that was a whole nother thread for Acosta, um, who went on TV and whined and gnashed teeth. And I play it, but you know, it's, it's almost childish. Um, Mike Huckabee, if Trump shot Charlottesville crash driver between the eyes, he'd still be criticized. And that's where we are. Um, but while all this was going on, Keith Oberman, poor Amorosa, offended when asked about Trump's same day as UVA Nazi rally, she had never realized that her only rele relevance is as Trump's pet. He called her a pet. Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed whatsoever. ACLU did notice there were many signs. Not sure who provoked first, but both sides were hitting each other at Justice Park before the police arrived. The guy on the ground is Unite the Right protesters. Those in black and red are Antifa protesters. And they show pictures and everything, but at, at no time did the media ever put it out. <clears throat> did they show it? Um, and this is all prior to the press conference, the second one, where Trump said exactly what I said, John Gibson said, most every person I talked to said. I don't know anybody who's on the take the Confederate statues down, Trump's a Nazi thing. I don't know anybody. I'm sure my daughter, probably, who's an Uber lib. I haven't checked her Facebook plays because we no longer talk to each other, but I'm, I'm sure it's coded with... Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. Bernie Sanders came in. Stephen, Stephen Smith did a really great job of showing um, the correlation between what Bernie Sanders is saying now and a nice picture of Hoskinson, the guy who shot, you know, Steve Scalise. 
New York Times, prior to the result, prior to the new press conference, conservative media is obsessed with protecting free speech for the only kind of speech it likes. It literally said that was an opinion in the New York Times. Women's March. You can't talk about Charlottesville without also asking about anti-Semitism. It is real. Then Linda Sarsour, of all people, sending love to my Jewish siblings. I know watching Charlottesville and anti-Semitism on display was horrifying. We're in this together. This is a woman who is an anti-Semite. She gets a pass. She gets a pass. So the media literally lost it one time. Okay? And then we're going to do a second forage into it. The first one will be Navarro, Carl Bernstein, Gorka's a racist, Bannon racist, Miller racist, the racist, I am a racist, you're a racist, we're all a racist. SPLC was brought on to say Trump's a racist, but they're a terrorist organization. And there are race baiters all over the place. And this was just round one. He was a coward. He didn't have the spine to behave like the leader of the United States. And I feel that to be shameful. And I'm glad Republicans are calling him out on it. I'm glad elected leaders in the Republican Party are finally, finally stopping to and stopping looking the other way mm -hmm. and confronting the fact that he's not only unfit to be president. In my book, his lack of empathy, his lack of leadership, his lack of courage, he's unfit to be human. I think it's the spiritual leaders. I think it's the governors. I think it's the other elected leaders. I think it's U.S. citizens. I think it's regular people that need to step up. And we need to be the ones that unify and heal ourselves because the president of the United States is a shameful nincompoop, incapable of doing it on his own. And you know, Donnie, if you look uh, and you read through some of the white nationalist websites and, and the media and the, and the propaganda that they put out, they were very pleased with what Donald Trump did on Saturday. They said, look, he didn't condemn us specifically. We understand why he had to go out and say something. But they viewed this as a victory for them. Yeah. What a pathetic, sniveling little man our president is, uh, a coward. Um, you know, it's very easy to use the terms Nazis and Ku Klux Klan. Let's step back for a second as far as what these people are marching for, what they stand for. The Ku Klux Klan, for decades and decades, they were built on lynching African Americans. The Nazis are built on the followings of Adolf Hitler, of exterminating Jews. Six million. No, no, we don't think Jews should exist on this planet. We're going to exterminate. That's what World War II was about. Mr. President, can you not condemn those people? Are, are you in support of that? Is that what this is? It, it is so disgusting and repulsive. And the, the, when you watched him speak, when you could see, you know, we've seen him speak passionately. When the first part of it, he was almost reading that text, almost like he, he didn't was. want to. And then when he got animated was when he got to the many sides part. The many sides, you know. Joe has asked me many times on this show, you know, Donnie, you and I have known Trump for years. He says racist things, but he's not really a racist. <laughs> no, he is a racist. He is a racist. Can we just say it once and for all? When we look at his history, when we look at the housing issues, when we look, when we, he's talked about reverse discrimination against whites, the birth of movement. We have a racist as a president because a man that cannot stand up and condemn the Ku Klux Klan and Nazism. In unscheduled remarks, the president explicitly condemning those groups after he didn't on Saturday, triggering an onslaught of outrage in these last 48 hours. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully 
accountable. Too little, too late, his critics say. But the CEO of Merck, Ken Frazier, quitting the president's manufacturing council as a matter of personal conscience. The president attacked Frazier on Twitter within minutes. His response to Charlottesville took longer to evolve. Tonight, amid growing pressure, President Trump calls out racism. 48 hours after the deadly attack, the president now says racism is evil and then calls out the groups by name, the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists. Then what the president later says when asked, why didn't he say it sooner? The leader of the free world, President Trump, was behind his daughter, attorney general, and vice president in denouncing white supremacists and neo-Nazis by name. On Saturday, the president implied counter-protesters and armed, shield-wielding white supremacists were equally to blame. I'll note that one thing he didn't do was a whole lot of outreach to um, people who are not white or who might feel that they were on the victimized end of the message that the protesters were carrying. I think that's um, a criticism that will probably continue beyond today. He said uh, a minimum of what he needed to say, um, but there were a lot of questions as he left the room uh, that you heard being shouted. Okay. And he did seem defensive in, in starting with the economy. By the way, the economy is great. And then let me address this thing that I have to address, you know, because I didn't address it two days ago. You know, so and it, it, he was very clearly reading and a statement that had been, you know, well-crafted by his, his advisors. But it did strike me the same as Margaret, like it's sort of the minimum of what he needed to do, inserting some of those phrases and things that you expected him to do earlier, but, but without the outreach to, to some groups that, that probably feel victimized at this point. Imagine a reality, Wolf, if he had given that statement on Saturday, what all of us around this table would be saying about uh, the president's remarks. The fact... So give him his uh, credit for finally getting out there and making some very strong remarks. But don't do that without asking the question, what have we learned fundamentally about this president in this episode, about his initial instincts? Can you sort of abdicate the moral authority of the presidency on Saturday and get it back on Monday with a makeup statement? I think that's a question that we should be asking. So while this may now check the boxes for some of his Republican critics in his own party, for others to come out and say, yes, this is what we were looking to hear, I don't think it erases the question of why was this not... It's my understanding, Carl, that you've been talking to your Republican sources who say the president crossed the line and there is no turning back. Can you tell me about what you're learning? Well, I think that the dialogue within members of Congress uh, among themselves has changed. They are looking at their own president uh, as someone who they have serious doubts about his fitness, uh, about his moral fitness, about his competence. There's never been a discussion like this, including in Watergate before. That doesn't mean that the president doesn't have his base, which he appeals to and did over the weekend once again by letting this racist uh, event go by uh, without him taking proper notice of it. But this event has now galvanized people in the military, people on the Hill, movement conservatives, but also this is about the press. We now have a story in which we as reporters need to be talking to high sources in the intelligence community, in the White House itself, in the Congress, uh, about the competency and fitness of the president of the United States. That's the real story here, and it's a crisis. And then you have Sebastian Gorka, an advisor to the president, who said this in an earlier interview this month. 
Mm. It's this constant, oh, it's the white man. It's the Mm. white supremacist. That's the problem. No, it isn't Maggie Haberman. Go to Sinjar. Go to uh, the Middle East and tell me what the real problem is today. Go to Manchester. Are there people around the president, close to the president, making this increasingly problematic? I think uh, some of the aspersions cast on people like Steve Bannon are really outrageous. I think that's people using a situation to try to to, to paste somebody they'd like to lay a lay a glove on. I would disagree. But the president here, the pre- okay, disagree. The president needs to Steve. take stronger steps here right. as the week goes on and so, as well, the, these Chris, words All right, Ken, Simone, what is has, your disagreement? I disagree because Steve Bannon has, when he was over Breitbart just a year ago, he said he was proud that Breitbart was the platform of the alt-right. The alt-right is nothing but white supremacy and khaki. Steve Bannon has been a curator of the alt-right. You played audio from Sebastian Gorka just moments ago on your show where he basically said it's not the white supremacists, look at these brown people in the Middle East. And so it's not expersions that have been cast onto these individuals. These are words that these folks have used white supremacist sympathizers are seemingly advising the president of the United States. And that is jarring and concerning to me. This is the people's house. They have that, the white supremacy has no place in our administration. When President Trump took the podium on Saturday, a woman was dead. She was murdered by white supremacist neo-Nazis. He did not use those words, that terminology. You have white supremacist neo-Nazi sympathizers apparently in the White House and Sebastian Gorka and Steve Bannon. This is not just rhetoric. This is very real for people yeah, all over yeah, America. That, that, and I would a, suggest that's an outrageous that we have to. That is not an outrageous, outrageous overstatement. overstatement. If you, you know what? In Germany, wait, Chris. In Germany, there are no statues and monuments of Nazi soldiers. Children do not go to schools um, named after Nazi generals. But in the United States of America, our children walk through parks walk down streets and go to schools named after generals of the Confederacy, folks who, if in present day, took up arms against the government would be considered treasonous because they felt it was their right to own people that looked like me in this country because it benefited them economically. We need to hear from the President of the United States today. We need to hear him say the words white supremacy, KKK, neo-Nazis, and then we need actions to follow up with those words. We need him to reverse the policy change that that the United States of America no longer um, is, is looking at white supremacists in terms in our counterterrorism program right. he needs to remove the white supremacists from around to white supremacist sympathizers that right. is steve bannon and gorka and i would posit that people in the president did say racism is evil and he did tie those specific named groups uh to when they commit violence they are criminals and thugs but i did not hear him specifically identify these groups and say that their mere presence their ideology their values are evil he seemed to link it to criminal activity like we saw over the weekend. And I'm not sure that that is enough uh, to make that uh, kind of declaration. Yes, he said the words. Yes, uh, he was more uh, kind of full-bodied in his condemnation today. Uh, But I think there is still an absence of saying the mere existence of these groups is not in line with American values and something that he does not support. And Jonathan Greenblatt, it's striking that Angela Merkel spoke. The Chancellor of Germany spoke out against the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, Virginia before the President of the United States had. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear the responses, the analyses of your guests, but I've got to say, naming names and talking about who actually showed up at the rally and giving the President credit for that, giving the President credit for saying racism is evil and it's a tragedy that an innocent woman was killed, I'm sorry, 
I expect more from our commander-in-chief. This statement was insufficient. There was no plan of action. He didn't even say his staff with links to white supremacists have no place on the payroll of the American people. So let's be clear. We should expect more from the highest office in the land than to meet the lowest possible bar. The Southern Poverty Law Center website says there are 917 active hate groups across the country. Are, are we regressing as a nation that rejects this abhorrent ideology? Yeah, I think we absolutely are. I mean, look, I think the important thing to say in all of this, or perhaps one of the important things to say, is the incredible responsibility uh, that Donald Trump has. Uh, you know, this uh, rally that uh, led to the uh, terrorist attack was uh, billed as Unite the Right. I think none of the kind of bottom feeders who are actually there leading this uh, organization, this rally, uh, had the kind of responsibility that, in fact, Donald Trump has had. You know, let's not forget, this is a man who, from the very beginning and even before his campaign, was essentially an unvarnished racist. So, Mark, when Attorney General Sessions says, as he did this morning, we're coming after these people, this kind of hate will not be tolerated, it cannot be tolerated in America, does it ring true to you? Do you believe that this administration is going to do something now? It rings absolutely false to me. Uh, you know, Jeff Sessions uh, is in charge of a Justice Department that recently decided the great problem with diversity in this country uh, is that white people are being uh, supposedly denied admission to colleges based on their skin color. Uh, that, to Jeff Sessions, is apparently the big problem out there. So, uh, you know, I think the reality, let's also remember, uh, Donald Trump has, as the head of his commission looking at supposed voter fraud, Chris Kobach, uh, the uh, chief vote suppressor uh, from Kansas, Secretary of State of Kansas. So, no, I think, the, you know, I think there are many people within DOJ and the Civil Rights Division who are absolutely good people, but the leadership is rotten. Uh, the stink is coming from the top. Mark Potok. I say good to see you. It is good to see you, although we are often only speaking under these uh, very extraordinarily unfortunate, horrible circumstances. But I thank you so much. So then we had protests everywhere. New York PD actually had to break out military-grade sound weapons. Kelly O'Donnell, hatred, bigotry, and violence. He names them under pressure. This all happens to the last podcast. Funny, for eight years, we're told reading off a teleprompter leads to the greatest orator in national history, and then the entire world city was forced to do that because they read it off a doggone teleprompter. Katie Turr, it's striking that he had to carefully read it all off a teleprompter. Yeah. See, you can't do that anymore. The Charlottesville Solidarity Rally in New York City, New York City, PD had to do brutal snatch and grabs. Um, they were breaking shit up. Their their code was honor the dead and fight like hell. The no say no to fantas, uh, fascism. The website we covered, all their signs were up there. People wearing shirts. They had to shut down almost all the businesses around Trump Tower. Because remember, these are all fucking, you know, communists. They're just communists. And during it, we have, you know, this type of conduct amongst these people that are supposedly just against the alt-right. 
and you're going to hear Antifa burning flags, which happened at every rally that happened post Charlottesville. A lady going off on the cops saying they're all fucking fascists. And a cop mocking the shit out of these moon bats. Those Nazis said that we're doing what we were told. Those not fucking words, you guys. Have a fucking backbone. Thank you. You roll your eyes because you're fucking weak. Because you know you're wrong. Because you think you're a man and you can roll your eyes at a fucking young woman. Roll your eyes. Your shoot doesn't fucking protect you. Unfortunately, I, I sold my soul for a badge, so you have to keep walking. Yeah, they're they're just peaceful protesters. All right, just peaceful protesters. But Seattle, New York, it was out of control, folks. The whole thing was out of control. During the Seattle one, they actually spotted Soviet flags flying high. Dallas sides clash over Confederate monuments in Dallas. They literally called it on NBC, right-wing rally goes on. A busted in Tennessee capital. And since then, there's been a whole bunch. And, and literally CNN, MSDNC, all of them put out pictures of all of them. Yeah, all of them. I could play you an audio tape and a video of the back end of that car crash. The guy ramming the protesters, and you see about 50 Antifa throwing bricks and beating the car with a bat. I think what you're going to find at the end of this is you're going to find this was not premeditated. This is going to be vehicular manslaughter. He was scared to death and he freaked and he tried to ram the cars to get the fuck out. Because as we proved on the last podcast, they were getting bricked. Now, I'm not defending them. They're pieces of shit. I'm just saying it, it wasn't murder. And the thing you'll never hear throughout all this is they've unleashed, the left has unleashed, unleashed the genie out of the bottle. It's just not the alt-right Antifa's after. Remember, they believe in a purge. They believe in a socialist paradise. You'll never hear Chuck Todd get on there and talk, but that's what's going to be said by most of us in this country. Like, oh my God, what has the left done? The alt-right marches around with tiki torches and says stupid shit. The alt-left burns cities down and beats people. Which is worse? I don't know. There was a whole thing is don't say her name. Say her name. Hashtag say her name is just for a black woman that got killed and somehow people were confused because the media never said who she was because they wanted to get the most buck out of this that it really was a black person that got killed. And this is actual tweet. The whites are at it again, disappointed but not surprised. Those are pictures as they are going the hell off on people using that. You're not authorized to use that. That's for black women only. All over the internet. It's everywhere. 
That, that's, that's okay though. That's not racist. Not at all. So then round two happened while I was down here on the beach. And he came out and he had another press conference and he said everything I've said on the show. The only thing I disagree with that whole speech, which you're about to hear in a mash of all the stuff, is there were good people down there amongst the... No, there were no good people. There's no justifiable reason to go protest the taking down of a Confederate monument. It's just a stupid thing. And yes, I will, you know, I will, I'll dog the president for even touching this. There's so much to be getting done. You can't win this in social warrior world. You can't win this with the media we have. They're all liberals. As we'll see in a brief segment, which I forgot to talk about on the beach, about Russia. <clears throat> Folks, they tried everything. Everything is fizzled. Russia's fizzled. The whole time they've been calling him a racist, now they had something to latch on to. There are Democrats trying to censure him. The media is still talking about it. This happened on Monday, or Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. It was Tuesday, Tuesday, the day that I drove. <clears throat> they're still talking about it. Well, when I was on the radio today after Bannon was fired, they're still talking about this. They want him fired. They want him impeached. And they have a reason now that they can try to brainwash the American people that Trump's a racist. They didn't have any proof, but now they have it. Because remember, they misconstrued his statement about Mexicans. He never said all Mexicans are, but that's what the media clung to. Well, now they have something. Because in that speech, he said there were good people down there. And then he went on about the alt-left. Every newspaper broke out, there is no alt-left. He made that shit up. And then New York Times and them, as I'll show you in a second, say there is an alt-left. Because there is. There's a fringe left out there that's Antifa they will not speak their name so when he said the statement was correct except for that the moment he said there's good people trying to protest taking down of a confederate monument you lose your argument you just now aligned yourself with racists because remember anybody who believes in the south me not being one I just live here you're a racist and that's the stereotype for Democrats to overcome, they're linking to slavery, Jim Crow laws, Dixiecrats, and the KKK, which was formed by Democrats. They've had to brainwash the American people that any Southerner is a racist and Republicans are racist. They've done a great job because they're meteor handlers on the airwaves, and everybody believes that. I believed it before I moved to the South. But in, during none of this have you heard taking down Robert Byrd's statue, a grand wizard of the KKK, Clinton's Hillary types, mentor, a Democratic stalwart. Nobody's talking about taking his statue down. They're ripping down nondescript, non-appointed Confederate statues because they feel better about themselves. But they're not talking about that. None of their people will come down. So here's Media Mash 2. It's worse. Chuck Todd's in here a lot. And you'll hear him on the last soundbite. Where I show you <clears throat> there's got to be a secret web board that these people are going to. Because the media has their talking points down. Maybe they're giving it by the Democrats. 
What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? Let me ask you this. What about the fact that came charging, that they came charging with clubs in their hands, swinging clubs? Do they have any problem? I think they do. This press conference was in every way, shape, and form a car wreck for the president. It showed a guy who was melting down. It showed a guy who was small-minded, intemperate, and sending dog whistles uh, to white supremacists and uh, neo-Nazis, which is why they have thanked him uh, for his comments. I mean, he, he, he was bleaching their white robes, and he was shining their shields with his remarks today. And he may say he condemned them, but that's not the way anybody in America read that. How can anyone defend what the president said yesterday? It is indefensible. I can't believe people get up here on CNN and on other networks and defend, actually try to defend, especially African-Americans and Jewish people, to try to defend what Donald Trump said yesterday. There is no defense for what he said yesterday. What he said yesterday was disgusting. It was un-American. And anyone who is an American who believes in this country should be speaking out against this person and saying that it is wrong for him to do this. And anyone who is, let me be plainly clear, anyone who is in that White House and who is supporting him is complicit in their racism as well. But how much longer can they stand by a man in good conscience without being branded as an enabler of a white supremacist? Well, 15 minutes. I mean, if they don't resign en masse this morning, they're forever tainted with the stench of what he did yesterday. It's honestly crazy for me to have to comment on this right now because I'm still in the phase where I'm wondering if it was actually real life, what I just watched. It was one of the biggest messes that I've ever seen. I can't believe it happened. It shouldn't be some kind of bold statement to say, yes, a gathering full of white supremacist Nazis doesn't have good people in it. Those are all bad people, period. And the fact that that's controversial makes me want I don't know if, if I should just like laugh. So I, I mean, I have like too much eye makeup on to start crying right now. It's disgusting. And the second thing civil rights advocates say is that these groups feel emboldened by some of Donald Trump's campaign rhetoric to sort of come out of the shadows, believing that their message is no longer taboo. Heimbach and Spence are part of the growing so-called alt-right movement. White nationalists who think white identity is under attack. Both credit President Trump's anti-immigration, America first policies with their rise into the mainstream. The controversy followed President Trump back to his Manhattan home, where he was met by protesters like Alyssa Krauss. What happened in Charlottesville was done with Trump's endorsement, with his permission, that he could barely criticize it. This man is lethally ignorant, incapable of even having a kindergarten's comprehension of the history of race. And for those who say, look, the Confederacy is about history and heritage, it is. The history and heritage of racism, the history and heritage of bigotry, building their sense of biological and in, in many cases theological and national identity upon a lie, a mythology of white supremacy. The, the belief that some people are inherently superior and some people are inherently inferior. For the president then to defend uh, the actions against taking down Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson. And, and remember, these people hated America enough to want to sustain 
recede from it. The people that we claim, Black Lives Matter, the Antifa movement, and so on, are interested in preserving the fabric of America. Mr. Miller says, again, that there was violence there, but the problem is to equate the violence in reaction against bigotry with the bigotry itself is to misunderstand the fact that when you go to cancer treatment, the radiation is tough treatment, but it is meant to remove the cancer. So what he fails to understand, and what the president especially fails to understand, is that you are complicit with the worst currents of bigotry in this country when you try to draw a false equivalence between uh, secessionists and racists and Confederate defenders and bigots and neo-Nazis and African-American and white people and others who have defended the right of this nation to really seek a path of healing beyond the consternation we see now. That's the problem with this president. He ain't got the right moral vision. He doesn't have the right words to express that moral vision. And he lacks an understanding of American history. This is the most illiterate, incompetent president in the history of this nation. And it shows and it tells on him in the midst of this racial crisis where he is incapable of showing basic, decent compassion for those who are vulnerable and who are victims of white supremacy in this. Speaking of that fight, let's go to that issue there. Mark Bray, you are writing this book, Antifa, the anti-fascist ha uh, handbook. Uh, explain this movement and its roots. Right. Right. So anti-fascism goes back to the beginning of the 20th century when uh, leftists of all stripes fought back against Mussolini and Hitler. Uh, most people think of Nazism as something that died with World War II, but it really rebranded re itself, grew again in a lot of European countries, in the United States. And so the modern Antifa movement grows out of the 70s and 80s in Great Britain and Germany when a lot of immigrants, when a lot of leftists, punk rockers had to physically defend themselves from neo-Nazi attacks, but only through skinheads. And that's where it grew, and that's where we can trace its lineage from today. The main perspective of Antifa is essentially that rather than simply waiting for the threat to materialize, you stop it from the beginning. You say no platform for fascism, and that's what we're seeing with the attempts in Charlottesville and elsewhere. I'm curious, first of all, is it, are you an advocate of this, uh, of this sort of confrontation? Yes, I am. Yes. What do you say to those that are concerned that hey, you're handing, you're you're allowing this these white supremacists to claim victimhood here? Um, what do you say to that criticism? Since the president is trying to essentially create a a false equivalency here. Well, honestly, I'm a bit shaken from what I just heard, and suspect it's not just me. Moments ago, at Trump Tower, the president of the United States painted white nationalists and members of the alt right as victims of what he described as club-wielding members of the alt-left. It was a chilling mix of whataboutism, false equivalence, and a total muddying of the waters after one person was killed and at least 19 were injured when members of the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists protested the removal of a Confederate statue in Charlottesville. That's where that uh, new level, you can no longer say racist, because uh, racist has been diluted, and we've just gone straight into... Moral equivalency. If you say anything we don't agree with, well, you're trying to make a moral equivalency. And I once again proffer, folks, we never heard any of this, any of this, during the time of Hodgkinson killing people. We never heard it. We didn't hear any of it. It was all just straight up 
we do what we want to do because that's the way we do it. And if you don't agree with us, then you're a fucking racist. All right. You're just a racist. And I'm to the point where I, I don't even know what to do with these people. I, I, I've never seen a media like this. Um, I've never seen them act this way. And it's kind of sad. I mean, it's just really sad that this is where we're at in the country. So while the media was spending their time condemning everybody for saying anything they didn't agree with, a middle school teacher is getting charged with felony assault out in Berkeley, and she said the person she punched had it come. She doesn't believe she did anything wrong. That's her defense. On WAPO and the New York Times, I'm trying to get close to the mic because the recording's terrible. I'm sorry. It's just not good on the road. Uh, they actually show pictures of the Antifa with their shields and their masks. They're good. They have no problem. Another Antifa guy knocked that, got a concussion or gave a concussion to a actual reporter and decided to go online and say, hey, he had it coming. It's his goddamn fault. It's his fault. Brian Fallon, reporters, everybody posting the iconic Normandy beach saying alt-left thongs who battled Nazis. They're equating the same thing. And if I can just state for a second how hypocritical that is, because during that same time, people, you didn't support that war. You supported no war, and now you're using that war to defend actions of violent protesters? Okay, I got it. A big thing was the alt-left is not a thing. CNN ran articles and everything, making it's a made-up term. But then the New York Times and WAPO prove it because they say left-wing groups are doing things. Like going to the lady who died at Charlottesville's funeral with pink bats and shields. Yeah, that was okay, though. There was nothing wrong with that. You can have your pink bats and shields. Not going to do any of the normal segments because I don't have any of the bumpers with me. But I'll do some stats, cable news ratings. Uh, right now, you're hearing how MSNBC and CNN are kicking ass. But on August 12th, for that entire week, Fox News still had the wins across the board for the entire week. For the month of July, Fox was still number one. And total viewers are still number one. And the reason why that is, is the stats they're giving you is just the demographic for young people, 25 to 54. That's what they're showing you. They're not showing you the full day. So I just want to make sure we stay honest. Yes, Rachel Maddow has the number one show on cable. But that's the only show MSNBC wins. Live PD is still kicking everybody's ass in the ratings. They're getting close to 3 million people just in the demo. The key get demo. Kaepernick is but a semi-performer for protesting because now Michael Bennett and Lynch are out in Oakland and they're sitting. They're sitting. They are no longer even kneeling because kneeling wasn't good enough. Um... Green loans, the, the PACE loans, are literally foreclosing at an insane rate. 
and you and I are going to pay for it. But remember, they're saving the planet. And if this shit was real, why are they foreclosing? Why are they not working? What is the problem? Everything I've ever seen that was attached to any of those green loans, none of it's ever worked, folks. And last but not least, because it's hitting home here, usually on a rain day like I'm at right now, I would be out, like, going to a movie. But movies are at a, the lowest in 25 years right now. 25 years. It's almost scary. It's almost scary. It's unbelievable. So that's just a stat I wanted to bring up. We're going to go to a music break. It's 5 o'clock somewhere with... Jimmy Buffett, because that kind of fits where I'm at right now. <clears throat> and then we're going to go into our millennial section to have a little fun. Sun is hot and that old clock is moving slow. And so am I. Workday passes like molasses in wintertime. It's July, I'm getting paid by the hour and older by the minute. My boss just pushed me over the limit. I'd like to call him something. I think I'll just call it a day. Pour me something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past twelve, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere This lunch break is gonna take all afternoon And half the night Tomorrow morning I know they'll be held to pay Hey, but that's alright I ain't had a day off now In over a year my Jamaican vacation's gonna start right here. Get the phones from me, you can tell them I just sailed away. And pour me something tall and strong, make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past twelve, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. Funny you should ask, Al. <laughs> I'd say, oh, there's something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past twelve, but I don't care. Somewhere. What time's on and on? 
what country am I in? It doesn't matter. It's five o'clock somewhere. It's always on five in Margaritaville, come to think of it. Yeah, I heard it there. You've been there, haven't you? Yes, sir. I've seen your boat there. I've been to Margaritaville a few times. All right. Well, that's good. Just come all the way back. Okay. We just want to make sure you can keep it between the navigational beacons. <laughs> Bring the booze. I got it. All right. Well, it's five o'clock. Let's go somewhere. I'm ready. Crank it up. Let's get out of here. I'm gone. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Knowledge that that comes from a very deep and legitimate source of complaint. I understand it. Okay? I understand to the extent that I can some of the struggles that many of you have had. To the extent that I can, so you can, to the extent that I can. All right, so if I cannot, if it's, then if I cannot, then I'll tell you. Let us define, let us define our own Let us tell you if you're being racist. Okay, no, 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 no. Hold on, one second. One second, one second. Let me say something else. So I have a vision of us as people, as human beings. <laughs> yes. Actually, that actually privileges our common humanity. That is interested not in what is different among us, but what is the same. Okay? And so we all have the capacity, I believe. Okay, so you so Let me finish one sentence. I believe, even though I have a different life experience than you, even though I have a different skin color and gender than you, I believe there are parts of your experience that I can understand as a human but being. Hold on, one, one idea at a time. One idea at a time. If you want to just. Uh, Look for reasons to either dis uh, to to think ill of me. You are free to do so. We but if you like to, I understand you think ill of me. But if you want to hear what I have to say and you want to actually, you know, uh, act in a way that like in, like is like people who are interested in a conversation, then let me at least address as a human being one thing at a time. Don't act like a mob that's trying to get me to say different things. Like I was just saying, I have a vision of ourselves that unites our common humanity. Okay, so I believe even though I'm not like you in the sense of my superficial appearance, that I can sit down and talk to you and understand understand your predicament. You know, that I can listen to you. If that's not true, if you deny that, then what is the reason that you ask to be heard by me or anyone else? Because we're dying. Look at me. Yes. Look at me. Yes. Do you understand? You and I are not the same person. <laughs> we're humans. Great. Glad we understand that. But your experiences will never connect to mine. Empathy does, is not necessary for you to understand that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay? Even if you don't feel what I feel ever, even if nobody's ever been racist to you, because they can't be racist to you, mm. that doesn't mean that you can just act like you're not being racist. And if you were to sit down with each of us, as you just suggested that you yeah, could, to, go ahead. Go to ahead. understand I'm our standing here. I know, I know you are. Yes. If you were to sit down with each of us, everyone here and, and many more students, to, to discuss our experiences so that you could better understand them, you would find that the message that you sent proclaiming that cultural appropriation on Halloween is totally permissible is, is hurtful. 
you, you would you would understand I, that. And I think that you can look at the effect that those actions had on these students and many other students on this campus, and you can objectively say that that effect is much worse than the effect of the email that was sent out by the, uh, the Intercultural Affairs Council or whoever sent that out, saying that students shouldn't. So, I mean, maybe people here are looking for you to just say sorry and not not, not a more well, thorough I, I don't want to ignore her, I, by the way. So now the other guys are taking over. I want to come back to you. So, you so, help me to maintain the power in this situation. Right. Okay. So, I, I still have an apology. Really quickly, like super quickly. No. Yes. Yes, Daryl. Okay. Are you in Salmon? Are you in Salmon? Are you in Salmon? And I'm not going to comfort this man. man. I'm a sociology major. I'm probably going to take a class with him. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. No, I look I was very close and I was shaking your hand, but I need but, you to understand all right. the situation right now does not require you to smile. Okay? Right. Well, but right. listen, you're surveilling, like I said at the beginning, I could misstep in any way. I could you look. Have. I have, of course I have, because their standards are constantly shifting. If I look at a person in the eye, I'm not, not looking at no, the whole situation. Okay. If I smile, it's seeming like no, I'm not, dismissing. Not if I, I honestly, okay, so I'm trying. No, I want you to own the fact, all of you, you can own the fact that. Uh, it's very easy to take something I say and, and misinterpret it, okay? That's part of it. So I'm trying very hard to talk to you, to show you the kind of person that I am, and to engage you one time. I have not forgot the apology. Where did you go? Well, I'm now other people are talking to me. Yes. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm, I'm Nicholas Michelle. I'm and Yes. Um, I think, like, the conversation that you're going to have on Sunday is great, and I think that that's the sort of discussion that you're talking about in the the school meeting, but the only apology that I would like to see is like two Solomon students, and like who, I mean, we've been here all three years, I love this place like so much, and I'm not saying that you're a terrible person, I don't think that, never have, but I do think that somehow this home is broken, and like, Solomon students need to hear from you that like, you're sorry, that I am sorry that I hurt your feelings. And again, using the word Can hurt you your feelings is not trivializing it, okay? So unless someone gives me a different word Why so that... Why do you care so much? We I'm apologizing again. She says to me... I don't want to use the word pain. No, pain. I'm sorry I caused you pain. Yes, I'm willing to say that too. Yes, what thank you. What you did was create space for violence to happen. That I disagree with. That no, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. It's not, it's not a debate. It's that not a debate. Oh, one second, I'm going to talk to her first. I'm going to finish her. One second. Yes. You can't even let her finish her statement. Should I finish talking to you? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. So I'm All sorry. I'm saying, and if you're willing to apologize, that's me. Yes. I just think like an email to the rest of the community is necessary, especially Solomon. And especially the journalist who called Jensi and then told her, like, I'm so sorry, like, I'm already enough trouble as it is, was wrong. And she felt hurt, and you shouldn't just say, like, I didn't mean to disrespect you, just say, I'm sorry. And, like, because her feelings okay, were hurt. Okay, I understand that, but you have to understand that my calling Gerald and Jensi is a mistake I make with all people, regardless of their race. Yes, and I apologize. I'm sorry I said to her. I said, I agree, Jensi. Jensi, I agree. This is my home, and you came in here. You went out to me. Do you understand that? Yes. You take care of me, and you haven't been doing that, and I've kept quiet. I'm your head aide, and you don't even know who I am. You never tried to know who I am. Your wife.
stop the Trump agenda, it says defend public education, protect each other. Right? So flyers are here if you want to take, take one and remind yourself of the same for next week. Um, We're now very excited to host Nathalia Richardson, the director of the Gantt Multicultural Center. Please help us welcome the first year. So when it comes to this whole idea of intercultural commons, what would it look like to have a standard for if you're going to be elected as an officer or hold a seat within CUSG that you have to demonstrate that you have a certain level of intercultural competence before you're allowed to take that office? Of that seat to show that you've been proactive in trying to learn as much as possible about our diversity of body so that you can more effectively govern an opportunity for the group. Something to consider for the group. Would you mind speaking a little bit further on the idea of the standard for intercultural yeah. It could be um, training, workshops, things like that. It could look very different. But it was just a suggestion that I made to some of the folks that came to me that if that is something that this group feels is important to do, then you can set a standard for that, that the people who are holding the office have to have demonstrated that certain level of, of competency in that area. So that means threshold that you have to reach before you can run, or once you get elected, training that everyone has. Well, that would be up to the group. Again, it was just a suggestion. It could be a threshold before, or it could be something that after the group is formed, that the training is done together. Now, I will say, once you're in, it's harder to hold people accountable for those things if it hasn't been set as a standard before. But it could be something that's established coming in to say, if you're in this group, this is a basic level of training that we're going to have everybody represent. It look different ways. But it would be, if this group were interested in doing that, then the group themselves could figure out, is it is something that we want to require before, or do we want to do this together as a group? Um, so would you say that, would that imply that someone who's elected to this office democratically is then not allowed to serve the peers that they uh, elected, the peers who elected them, because they don't match a certain Say that question again, I want to make sure so I'm understanding it well. So you're threshold that <laughs> elected democratically to this body or then not allowed to serve those peers because of a certain level they don't reach in like certain areas such as um, well it could happen before the democratic election process. If that is set by your elections board as a standard, then when if you're betting the candidates who are running, that betting can happen even before the democratic process takes place. We got our millennial song playing in the background because this segment will be all crazy millennial stories. Our first one, college provides safe space for fat identified LGBT students. Just the gay ones, not the straight ones. Montclair State University is offering a weekly discussion group exclusively for LGBTQ students who are fat identified. Who's doing that identification? The Fabulous and Big Discussion Group is one of seven groups sponsored by the school's LGBTQ Cosign of Four Center that are explicitly closed to anyone who does not share the identity of that group. Within there, they justify it. Fab. That was big. Some of our groups are designed solely for the people who share the identification of a specific group. 
Notable of the 10 discussion groups offered by the LGBTQ Code and Forest Center, only three are open to all students, with the remaining seven being closed to anyone in there. And once again, we're sitting here all the time talking about how alt-right's horrible, and I think that's a great example of the alt-left. Princeton Course Fights Fat Phobia Through Dance. Talked the last podcast about Oregon State. This one's going to do dance. Princeton University is often a course to this fall that will examine the changing history, aesthetics, politics, and meanings of fatness through dance and performing arts. Who is in that special? Reading from the course Bemoan Fat Phobia is just another form of prejudice, and the class has a particular focus on intersectional dimensions of the fat body, which once again means if you're gay and fat, you're a protected class. If you're a straight white dude, semi-bald man, who lives in Tennessee, you fuck yourself. Feminist professor to teach class lamenting American whiteness. Oh, this should be good. Gringo College is offering a course this fall on American whiteness that will focus on attacking racism by making whiteness visible. The professor declined to provide a current syllabus, but a previous offering of the same course in 2015 described America as a racist nation due to the pernicious effects of whiteness. Yes. Professor Carla Erickson, a self-described feminist ethnographer, we just made up a title, will teach the four-credit special topic class called American Whiteness, which vows to explore whiteness as a specific racial formation with a distinct history, proactive and defensive politics, and institutional and personal investment. It is quite possible to avoid hating white people as individuals, tweets this professor. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That just reminds me of that montage I just played with you with Yale girl. And somebody handing out actual Antifa stuff. And a Clemson teacher saying, well, we can have a student body, but guess what? They gotta be diverse. And unless you're gay as a white person, you fuck yourself. College rebukes professor assigned expensive books by white guys. Can you see why we're living this Charlton stuff, or Charlottesville stuff? Can you see why we're, this is where it all comes from? The new, the new school in New York has published an extensive guide on microaggressions to warn students that such behavior can be as damaging as explicit microaggressions. Monuments, artworks, or portraiture in public spaces that are predominantly, exclusively, white cisgender men and women, for instance, are deemed environmental microaggressions. Professors who fail to ask students for the preferred pronouns who assign too many readings by white cisgender men are likewise considered guilty of microaggressions against students. So basically, we, not only are we going to take down Confederate signs, my friends, we're going to go to the library, and unless you're gay or a cisgender woman, that'll be where they start drawing some lines, because they are women, they're going to throw every book out. So Shakespeare, go fuck yourself. You weren't gay. You were white. You don't get to write a book. Who's the racist one now? I'm confused. Summer reading assignment takes pot shots at Trump agenda. Colleges across the country are assigning incoming freshmen mandatory reading materials that champion the views of the anti-Trump resistance movements. 
Several of the books address topics such as feminism, microaggressions, racism, and one even posits that Trump brand of populism is an exclusionary form of identity politics. Oh, really? <laughs> Princeton, for instance, incoming students will be required to read What is Populism? by Professor Jan Werner Muller, who argues that Trump's alleged populism position promotes a certain form of exclusionary identity politics. Like all populists, Trump's engaged in a certain form of exclusionary identity politics, tweets this moron. Like all populists, Trump engaged in a certain form of exclusionary politics. She repeats this thing like six times. He decrees who belongs to the real American people and who doesn't. What is unusual is the openness with which he has incited hatred against minorities in the process. I am sure MSDNC hands this out to all of their anger. Professor pledges to deconstruct whiteness in all her courses. The University of Iowa education professor recently wrote an academic journal article explaining how she endeavors to dismantle whiteness in my curriculum assignments and pediology. Jody Lindley argues that unless our mostly white students are made to confront their privilege, they will be complicit in perpetuating white supremacy. That's in Iowa. From the article, for white students talking about race with an all-white group of peer facilitates the realization that they are race beings, thus reveals their own white ignorance. By the way, NPR and PBS did a poll about taking down every Confederate Confederate statue. 62% of America, with 12% unsure, said they do not want them taken down. They should be left for historical purposes. That was NPR and PBS. You can guarantee that had a plus 30. Go figure. College offers woke shops on systematic privilege. Lewis and Clark College, which is in Oregon, will host a series of woke shops during the fall semester to teach students about different forms of oppression and privilege. The workshops are open to all students, but a separate students of color speakeasy is exclusively for students who identify with an unrepresented racial and or ethnic identity. Do you see the theme I'm doing? And, and once again, I did, I pulled these randomly off campus reform. I did not purposely go out for race-related stuff to prove a point. I swear on my kitty, my wife, and my dog, since my kids hate me. Um, I swear on their lives. This is just, this is what kids are being taught. Woke shops. Once again, you're taking kids, you're putting them on campus and telling them they're pieces of shit because they're the wrong color. Or they're straight women. But we have a problem with alt-right. Even though I live in Tennessee, I haven't seen a KKK person, I haven't seen alt-right rallies, I haven't seen white nationalists, I haven't seen anything. And I live in a predominantly white area, and I don't know anybody that does. But, you know, go ahead. Professor, campus sex trials like European inquisitorial system. Christopher Newport, university professor Elizabeth Hopper Bush researched the evolution of feminist theory from an enlightenment doctrine to an empowerment doctrine and the unintended consequences of that. And they're saying under Title IX, it's an inquisitorial system and it's bad for women. So 
basically what they prof in this whole thing is that if you're accused of any kind of date rape or anything, the man must be guilty regardless. The woman just can say it and it's over. No justice, just punishment. Interesting concept. We'll be there soon enough, I, I am sure. Another one, Professor says, punishing disruptive students is unfair to the left. Yeah, a Wayne State University professor recently wrote an op-ed in the Detroit News complaining loudly about two campus free speech bills recently introduced in the Michigan legislature. One of the bills requires schools to punish students who are repeatedly found guilty of violating the free speech rights of others on campus. John Patrick Leary says clearly targets student activism on the left. In an op-ed, once again, he argues that the supposed free speech crisis has been manufactured by conservative legislatures to punish liberal activists. Student activists, the clear target of the bill, are on the left. Indeed, Senator Patrick Colbeck recently induced two bills to protest protect free speech on campus, the first of which is guarantee students the full degree of intellectual freedom of expression, the second one hand out punishments to students who shut down free speech. He said, this liberal professor, which means every professor on the campus is probably part of it, are willing in the extreme to propose a free speech tribunal presiding over what by college authorities is a remedy for the suppression of free speech. It's Orwellian. Hmm. Okay. I think everything I just read is Orwellian. It's thought, it's speech, it's belief, it's a cult. Professor Google Memo was correct about gender differences. He's from Rucker University, and now he's under review. He'll probably be fired by the time I'm done with this podcast. Yeah, that's fantastic. Research, researcher dismisses science conducted primarily by white men. This was one we kind of covered, but we didn't know the lady. Her name is Dr. Chanda. She goes by at B-I-B-G-I-Y-O-N-G-I. I-B-G-I-O-N-G-I. Science has done little to combat, combat racism and sexism and has mostly helped them, she says. Uh, in this article, she basically says anything that you've done that has anything to do with white people, you need to throw it out. And in another tweet, your facts are out of sync with peer review research on the experience of women. So unless science is done by women or by gay people or African Americans, it's no longer science. Surprisingly, She's not under review. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not surprised at all. University of San Francisco to host blacks-only student orientation. Another one of these examples that we are going to segregate in the college campus because people feel uncomfortable about other people. If you're going to the University of San Francisco, that means liberals have a problem. Liberals have a problem because... Everybody going to that school is liberal, most likely gay, or some sort of minority. And if you're having problems and you have to specify orientation for certain race, I think you guys need to get your shit together out there. I'm just throwing it out there. So, we'll close with another montage. This one is Tucker's segment about Trump and McCain must die, dude. 
Students love socialism but don't know what it is. I thought it was on the street things. Cornell students being an idiot. And Dr. Tom Curry, white people must die. Enjoy. It's summer vacation, but the professors are still on the job. Some of them, and some of them are still bonkers. At Montclair State University, a professor has just been fired after saying he wants both President Trump and Senator John McCain to die. Meanwhile, at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, the school is losing both students and money thanks to a faculty member who said that white people should die. Cabot Phillips is media director at CampusReform.org, and he joins us tonight. Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on. You keep track of the stuff so we don't need to go completely crazy uh, following it as carefully as you do. What's going on at Montclair State? This is just another example of how, yes, professors have the right to say these outlandish things, but guess what? We, as their employers, a.k.a. taxpayers, have the right to hold them accountable. And this professor who said that Trump deserves a bolt in the head, John McCain needs to die because of his health care vote, he's not playing the victim card, saying they're restraining my academic freedom not realizing that academic freedom is not some blanket thing that protects you from your employer holding you accountable for your phrases and things that you're saying uh, on social media. And also, it's important to remember, these are professors. These are people molding our next generation. They should be held to a higher standard than, you know, repeating things sounding like the comment section of Huffington Post article, okay? This is a professor we're talking about. Well, it's just dumb. I mean, there's no, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> it's no plenty discourse. of people reach conclusions I disagree with, but, you know, they, they reach provocative conclusions. They're interesting. You know? Go die? Yeah. I mean, that's, is that, that's, <laughs> and that's an what, academic debate now? That's what we see. It's a result of the right. discourse pushed by the left. When you label an entire segment of society that you disagree with, Nazis and fascists, right. it becomes socially acceptable and almost morally reprehensible to not say these violent things against of them. Course. And so are we really surprised to see this kind of rhetoric? And this professor being fired, it's not like we're losing some literary scholar or some historical, you know, heavyweight. This was a guy who was there to teach a course on the life of Beyonce. Okay, I love Beyonce as much as the next person, but we shouldn't be using taxpayer money to have a professor teaching a course on Beyonce. So, so he's a moron teaching a frivolous non-subject, <laughs> and now he'll probably wind up at Princeton uh, because he's now a celebrity. Trinity College, Hartford, Connecticut. I went there a couple months ago. They had a professor called Johnny Eric Williams yeah. post a Facebook rant um, by somebody else saying that you should let white people die if you ever see them in trouble. And he put a hashtag at the bottom, let them effing die. He was not fired. The school has defended him. The president of the college, Joanne uh, Berger Sweeney, uh, has basically described him as a victim of the right wing. What's happened since? Since then, the school has come out and admitted that they've had over a quarter million dollars of funding from donors pulled from the university. And they've had numerous students say, I'm not going to attend the school because of the way you handle the situation. And what it is, it's market forces at work where, as a light is, you know, being shined on these kinds of things. For parents are saying, I'm not sending my kid to that university. We cover the same thing. Leadership Institute's campus reform. How Missouri, ever since that free speech debacle, they have empty buildings full of empty dorm rooms because students just aren't attending. But what's so interesting in this specific case, so here you have a professor with tenure who's an yeah. open racist endorsing violence. These schools are famous for being worried about the safety of their students. Has Trinity College, to your knowledge, begun an investigation to determine what, what this guy was like in class? If he was going to write this in a public forum online, how do you treat his students? Absolutely. We've seen multiple students come forward and say this is indicative of the environment.
that is in his classroom. If you go and look at his rate, my professors, a lot of the students are saying, well, he's a good professor as long as you keep your mouth shut and just kind of go along with what he says. That's the opposite of what a classroom should be. A classroom but has the no. school, to your knowledge, has the school conducted no. an investigation? Right, so not they don't even want to. They have not investigated. He is currently on you know, administrative leave. He'll be back very soon. Let's be honest. If, if this person said anything against a Democratic senator or a Democratic president, they wouldn't have a job. They'd Man, be out of a if, job in a if day. If Trinity sends me a fundraising letter, I'm just going to call directly back to the yeah. fundraising office and just laugh on the phone before hanging up. <laughs> no way. In your opinion, is socialism a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I think people kind of throw that word around to try to scare you. But if helping people is socialism, then I'm for it. It could really benefit our country in the future. I think it's a good idea. Socialism as a concept, as a philosophy is good. I think that it's got a bad rep. Trying to spread the wealth is definitely a good thing in America, and okay. it's definitely a thing that's needed. There's a lot of things with social welfare that I think would be good to have. Do you have a positive reaction to socialism or a negative one? I'd say a more positive one. I'm definitely more open to it. But we should have a standard of living for all people. Okay. Just by default, that should just be available. If we did it democratically, then we could really incorporate socialism. Like, it's, it definitely seems like a more feasible option in it could help more people like just as a broad term it could help more people how would you define socialism i mean honestly that definition gets thrown around a lot i'm not exactly sure how would you view what socialism is though um economically what is socialism economically hmm. so hmm. I'm going to think about that for a second. Um, geez. Uh, I guess just specifically just, you know, getting rid of that wealth gap in the United States. Um, how would I describe it as little words possible? Um, uh, how would you define socialism? Hmm. Um, I mean, it's definitely more of an open form of government, and it feels like a lot more accessible to a lot more people and that's kind of how I see it like being more accessible and more kind of like equal ground yeah what what does that mean necessarily though I to be quite honest I don't know I'd like to start off by saying thank you for coming out today, so give yourselves a round of applause, y'all. Should we do a chant? Okay. One, two, three, four, we don't want your fucking war. Five, six, seven, eight, stop the killing, stop the hate. One, two, three, four. We don't want your fucking war. Five, six, seven, eight. Stop the killing, stop the hate. One, two, three, four. We don't want your fucking war. Five, six, seven, eight. Stop the killing, stop the hate. One, two, three, four. We don't want your fucking war. Five, six, seven, eight. Stop the killing, stop the hate. One. <laughs> no missile strikes, no Muslim ban, no fascist USA. No missile strikes, no Muslim ban, no fascist USA. No missile strikes, no Muslim ban, no fascist USA. No missile strikes.
I'm one with Mahdi's fascism. I'm part of the national organizing tour to drive out the Trump regime. And we've been going to different campuses. But first, I'm going to start off by actually reading a statement that came out by Refuge Fascism a few days ago. On Thursday, April 6th, Trump launched 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles against Syria. Trump claims he dropped these bombs because of the beautiful babies who were gassed, reportedly by the Assad regime. Well, that was certainly a crime against humanity. What about the beautiful babies Trump has dropped drones on? What about the beautiful babies blown to pieces by U.S. and Iraq? What about the beautiful babies in Iran who seems to be sending a gangster threat through his bombing? What about the beautiful babies who are born female all over the planet, whose lives are in danger because of Trump's global gag rule against abortion access, and whom he regards as pieces of meat? What about all the babies who are born black in the USA? The boys who have one in three chance of prison or jail, and Trump wants to ramp up law and order brutality. What about the beautiful babies whose parents are being torn apart from them and deported to Mexico and elsewhere? What about the beautiful babies who are Muslim? What about all the babies all over the planet whose future is imperiled by the Trump-Pence regime's climate change denial and attacks on science? Fact. Trump does not care about Syrian babies. He's a fascist thug who's promised America first firepower and terror, including a new nuclear arms race on the people of the world. His bombs are not humanitarian. His bombs will make things worse for people of Syria and the people of the world. In the name of humanity, we must say, no, 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 no bombing Syria. Drive out the Trump-Pence fascist regime. Yeah. Yeah. Millions 
of people will die at the hands of this regime. Trump and Pence are attacking the separation of powers, the separation of church and state, and they're trying to consolidate a fascist regime. And we cannot sit back and be good Germans and let that happen, right? Yes. <laughs> so we need you to get organized to do this. We are building for 10 days of resistance coming up. April 22nd, the marches for science. They're going to be going on all around the world. We're calling on all of you to come to D.C. with us. There are organizations that are um, planning buses to help you get there, and we need you there for that. Um, we need April 29th. Everyone's got to be in D.C. for the People's Climate March because Trump and Pence are scaring scientists to the point where they are actually fleeing to Canada, copying their data, and trying to protect the truth and the science that they have been working their whole lives on because the planet is in serious danger. This is imperiling life on Earth. So we gotta be out there at the People's Climate March. This is Ready News Review, the podcast. And now, America's independent voice, Rob Ready. Now it's time for my good friend, Dr. Tommy Curry. Every Thursday, talking tough with Dr. Tommy Curry of Texas A&M. Dr. Tommy Curry, how are you, sir? Not bad, sir. How are you doing today? Great. So today I want to talk about uh, killing white people in context. Let's do it. All right, so over the last 20 years, uh, black people have a lot of white academics, white liberals, and I don't know if you saw the recent movie, uh, Django and Chang, the actual history of black civil rights struggle and black slave insurrections. Uh, what we have today is a situation where the symbols of King and peaceful white progressives have become the hallmarks of the black civil rights struggle. I mean, we saw this with people like Skip Gates when Obama won the election saying that even all of our slave foreparents who were enslaved and stolen from Africa, all of the suffering, dying, and deaths that we had during the Civil Rights Movement have all accumulated in Obama himself, right? And what that does is it puts a public relations face on the history of enslavement. It puts a popular face on the suffering of African-descended people, and it puts a uh, a smile, a a a persona from black people that we can, in fact, talk about American racism without mentioning the threat of violence or social revolution at all. Now, two weeks ago, Jamie Foxx made a joke about how great it was for him to be able to kill all the white people in his new movie. And I saw it, and he's right. Practically every white person in that movie uh, dies a very violent and well-deserved death uh, for their participation in the enslavement of African-descended people. But the problem I have with that statement and it using the context of Django is that it's a fantasy where the deaths of white people are really just an entertaining spectacle. It's something that didn't really happen. It's not like black people had that type of opportunity under enslavement. And today what you see is a backlash from white conservatives on the one hand who are offended, saying that Jamie Foxx is racist, and white liberals on the other hand who are saying that, well, this is not productive if you ever talk about killing white people, and putting the burden back on black people who have actually suffered these type of horrors, saying that you can never have a political conversation about the killing of white people, because that in itself is evil, is non-productive, is nationalistic. Only evil black nationalists do that, right? And I think that a lot of times black people buy into this as well. What I'm surprised about is that I've seen no black public intellectual come out and actually address the issue of violence or social revolution or radical self-defense by black people historically. 
So right now, black people simply buy into the idea that, oh, it's entertainment, or, oh, you know, violence against white people is only the ideas of the black, of, of the black Panthers. But in reality, we've had people from Nat Turner to Robert F. Williams, who was the father of the radical self-defense movement that inspired Black Panthers, and he wrote the book Nero with Guns, that thought, thought about killing white people in self-defense. Now remember that these black people were actually in a world very much like ours today, where white vigilantism against black people, murder, state violence, were all deemed normal. This was how you preserved American democracy. This is what Ida B. Wells talks about. You lynch black people because they're an economic threat to white, poor whites getting businesses. You lynch black people to show black people that they can never be equal, so they will never challenge you, they will never pursue politics, they will never pursue the right to vote. So when we have this conversation about violence or killing white people, it has to be looked at in this kind of this historical turn. And the fact that we've had no one address like how relevant and how solidified this kind of tradition is for black people saying, look, in order to be equal, in order to be liberated, some white people may have to die. I've just been immensely disappointed because what we look at week after week is the national catastrophe after catastrophe where black people, black children are still dying. And we are front row, we're front and center when it comes to white people talking about their justification for owning assault weapons and owning guns to protect themselves from evil black people and evil immigrants. But then when we turn the conversation back and say, does the black community have a need to own guns? Does the black community have a need to protect itself? Does the black individual have a need to protect itself from police officers? We don't have that conversation at all. Now, we see white citizens arming themselves with assault weapons, fearing gun legislation, and we saw the nationalist rhetoric during the election where people were trying to kill Obama, but we don't have any kind of connection between the arguments made today about the Second Amendment, where people say they have the right to bear arms, and the historical role of the Second Amendment, where it was used to arm white people to, to put down slave revolts and revolts from indigenous natives. So Robert Control and Raymond Diamond write this excellent piece called The Second Amendment Towards an Afro-American's Reconsideration, where they actually trace the history of that and say that the Second Amendment isn't about individuals simply trying to protect themselves. It's actually about community. But the problem is the black community has not taken the time, has not taken the, doesn't have the discipline to look at black politics as an outgrowth of how it needs to protect itself from violent anti-black forces that are still killing our children, that are still attacking our communities, and now is trying to justify nationalist rhetoric to, to preserve its right to bear arms. Dr. Tommy Curry, how can folks get in contact with you? They can tweet me at, actor, at Dr. TJC. All right, Dr. Tommy Curry, of course, over at Texas A&M every Thursday, talking tough with Dr. Tommy Curry. You've been listening to Ready News Review, the podcast with America's independent voice, Rob Ready, presented by Ready Communications Incorporated. For all the pressing news you need to know, log on to www.readynewsreview.com. You know, I picked this segment just to have some fun today. But when you get done listening to the sound bites and I read all those stories from campus reform, it, I'm, it, it makes me totally understand how people could believe if you go around and take down every statue you don't like for political purposes, that's an adult thing. Just remember, 62% of Americans do not agree with tearing that stuff down. That's from NPR. That's not from Tony Reid. It's not from the All Right. And you can fire Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller. They can fire everybody up there. They can they can impeach Trump. At the end of the day, they will not be happy till they turn this country into a socialist country, and they bring their identity politic, politics back to play. That's what it's all about. These are spoiled brats that have now seized upon one sentence. It was just one sentence. 
there were some good people down there protesting Robert E. Lee's statue getting taken down. That was the window they were looking for. But as we see, when every college campus looks everything through the prism of race, the prism of race, they're brainwashing generations to think that way. Generations of white students to run around and feel bad because they're white. It's an absurd concept. And it doesn't fit what America's about. Not in the middle of the country, maybe on the coast. So we're going to do one short segment left, and I am out of time. My, pit, my kitchen pass is pulled, and this podcast sounds like hot garbage anyway, because this mic sucks. We've been spoiled with Big Sis in Colorado's studio she sent me for Christmas. So I, I wanted to bring this in months ago. Well, not months, about three or four podcasts ago. I had this article, and I'm going to distill it down to very small interpretation of the article, which is very long. I want you to understand this article comes from the nation. Katrina Vandehoeven, a outright socialist, writes for the nation. There are no conservative views over there. They wrote the article. But before I get to it, because once again, it's about the 16 election, it's about the DNC hack, and it's put in a way that you and I have never seen it makes you understand why all of a sudden the media dropped this. They no longer talk about it that much. Because it was released just a while ago. But to get there, we have to understand the political aspects of what Russia was for the left. And to do that, we go through their mouthpiece, the media. You're about to listen to a very long intro to this segment. It goes from the very first moment this was put out for political purposes as an excuse for why Madam Secretary failed at winning when she was the most qualified president ever and that she was a shoe-in and that we all just needed to stay home in the red states because she's the next president because she's a woman and she's got grandma titties. The Raging Cajun spoke the words Russia. I want you to hear this as it goes from that moment, November 9th, 2016, till just recently, when all along lefties and the media have this memo and this finding, and they've never put it out. Why are you defending this? Why are you sitting here when our democracy is under assault, when the FBI is acting at the behest of Jason Chavitz, and sitting here acting like this is something legit? It's not. It's an effort to affect this election. So and Democrats and people across this country have to know this. So, James, in July, when and, Comey did the unprecedented right. act of holding a press conference to reveal that he right. wasn't going to have right. charges recommended to Loretta Lynch, right. no one then on the left was up in arms over right. what James well, Comey had well, just done. Right, Isn't this that, a double that's not, standard? That's not correct. That, no, it's not a double standard at all. When the facts change, you change your mind. Right. I know that's a hard concept for people to get sometimes. It is unprecedented. Look at the op-ed pieces. Look at what's going on. And you're sitting here defending an assault on American democracy. I mean, just, you know, somebody probably said nice things about anybody at, at a given point. This is an unprecedented event 
that was done at the behest of the House Republicans, that was leaked to the press by the House Republicans. And as we know, the KGB is all over this election. And this is what we're talking about. We ought to be talking about our democracy being under assault right now. And what are we going to do about it? And not what somebody said in July about James Comey. That's a distraction. That's not what's going on. How many op-ed pieces did you read today of people saying this is unprecedented? Republicans saying this is unprecedented. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable eight days before an election. And it's more unbelievable that people like you are defending this. Well, James, in no way am I defending it. I'm just trying to ask questions well, of, of you. Of course, you are. You're making excuses. No, you're making you're you're making excuses for Comey by bringing up something some something somebody said in July. Is the effort of Russian propaganda actors to just sow confusion to to make people doubt that anything could be true? Sure, yeah. I mean, that is the main goal of Russian disinformation, whether it be through their television channels, whether it be through other measures like hacking, like uh, their. Uh, legions of paid trolls. That is the ultimate goal, is to undermine democracy, to undermine faith in our institutions like the like the media. And, um, and we have a president-elect now who has basically matched some of these key talking points in Russian propaganda to undermine our system. So, so I let, think let's go there. Let's go there directly. I mean, here, here's something that I've been asking myself. Julia, we're talking about a candidate who's lost in a historic way in terms of the popular vote, but clearly won in the Electoral College. Is this something of a national emergency? And are journalists afraid to say so because they're going to sound partisan? I mean, largely the conversation about leaks is a, a sideshow. It's a talking point for conservative media uh, to say the president uh, had a good day and not a very bad day here. Look, if, if you are if you are James Comey and you feel there is a problem at the top of our government, what do you do? Because here you have a situation the the Russians pulled off what I call a psychological Pearl Harbor. These distractions are more interesting to the. Uh, to the Washington press corps and to the New York press corps than they are to the people in Actually, the middle of America. Actually, congressman, congressman, hold on. Not necessarily uh, to Ali and I. So it's not the press corps. I would absolutely love to focus on the agenda, sir. The president isn't. It's going. I, that's a great question because I, what can he do that he knows Trump will also sort of uh, uh, join hands with him on? He can't do something that essentially Trump either rescinds on January 20th, you know, doesn't follow through with, that's one. So I, I think Obama's... Uh, and he also said that he's like, it might be explicit, it might be, I don't know, covert. Well, I this mean, is, it, what, you is know, that an issue? Two months ago, Joe Biden said it, it wouldn't be explicit at all to me. He said, because I, I, I asked him that question, will the public know? And he goes, I hope not. So now they're, they're trying to find some public uh, venue. I actually think that's the president's only option here if he wants it to be credible with the American public, which is, you know what, do an old... Adlai Stevenson type of thing and just lay it out there. Lay out all the evidence in public, connect the dots, because that might be the best way to embarrass Putin in the world. If you want it to be effective and you want to try to shame Putin from doing this again, I think you have to go big on this and big as in show your work. It's really important. And it's about our new president. And what we learned today when this public version of this report came out, surprise, it's out today. What we learned when this came out is that our new president will flat out lie to us, to our faces, and even put it in writing, even when we can check for ourselves and see for ourselves that he is blatantly lying about a really big thing. He apparently will just bracingly lie to us, even about 
really important national security stuff. And we learned that today if we didn't believe it before. And it, all right, this is not that complicated. This is the public version. This is the unclassified version of this report. And on every single page of this report, there's a little box at the top. We've shown it here so you can see it. A little box that explains. It says this. This report is a declassified version of a highly classified assessment, semicolon. Its conclusions are identical to those in the highly classified assessment. But this version doesn't include the full supporting information on key elements of the influence campaign. So they, they not only say that at the outset of this report, it's literally printed on top of every single page in the report. They're saying, yeah, this is the public one. This doesn't have the sources and method stuff that might screw with our, you know, spies or whatever. But it's the, the conclusions of this report are identical to those in the highly classified assessment, which we, the public, don't get to see. Very clear. Now, the highly classified assessment, that was commissioned by President Obama, right? He asked the intelligence community for it. He got that highly classified assessment from them yesterday. That same highly classified assessment that went to Obama yesterday went to the president-elect today, this morning. And then here's the thing. Right after that, right after he came out of that briefing where he received the highly classified version of this, he put out a written statement about what he learned in the briefing. And he blatantly and overtly, bluntly, simply lied about what is in this report. Right before this report got publicly released so we could check for ourselves and see that he was lying. This, this, I have to say, I don't get weirded out by that much stuff in the news, but this kind of puts a shiver down my spine. Just look at this. It's very clear. This was the statement our incoming president put out after he got the highly classified version of this report. And again, the public version that we all have now, that we can all see, its conclusions are identical to those in the highly classified report. He gets briefed on the classified version of this. He comes out and he makes this statement, quote, President-elect Donald J. Trump released the following statement at the conclusion of meeting with intelligence community leaders. Here's the statement. While Russia... China and other countries, outside groups and people, <laughs> are consistently trying to break through the cyber infrastructure of our governmental institutions, businesses and organizations, including the Democrat National Committee. Quote, there was absolutely no effect on the outcome of the election. So he's saying, I just got briefed on this report. I just met with the director of national intelligence and the director of the CIA and the director of the FBI. They've just given me their report. And I can tell you, the American people, having read this report, having been briefed by our intelligence community, I can now tell you, now that I've seen this report and I've been told what's in it, there was, what is it? There was absolutely no effect on the outcome of the election. That's what he tells us. Well, here's what's actually in the report. Quote, we did not make an assessment of the impact that Russian activities had on the outcome of the election. So, our president-elect is lying to us. ...has forfeited any right to serve as the American president because he has violated one of the basic tenets of our democracy. It's dangerous, I think, in the future for this, for our, in, in some ways for our country. Um, people are really feeling like this election is going to be rigged. The real danger here is that when Trump lies to his supporters about the others who are trying to steal the election, some of his supporters believe him. Mr. Trump, think of your children. America is great partly because everyone accepts the results of elections for decades in the past and hopefully for decades to come. Inventing a conspiracy theory is no way to make America great again.
Now that November 8th has come and gone, with results some in the media seem to outright despise, we've noticed outlets like the New York Times have done a complete 180 on that rigging claim. Back in October, the Times wrote, top Republicans must reject the ridiculous notion that a national election can be rigged. But now they're singing a different tune, proclaiming, failing to resolve the questions about Russia would feed suspicion among millions of Americans that a dominant theme of his candidacy turned out to be true. The election was indeed rigged. Here to break down the about face is Media Buzz host, Howie Kurtz. Good to see you tonight, Howie. Hi, Shannon. All right, so tell us a little bit about this. I mean, where are we going here? Because you read the papers, we all read them uh, eight weeks ago, and now we're here to a different tune today. The media went haywire when Trump used to talk again and again about a rigged election because the feeling was he was just setting up an alibi for himself after Hillary Clinton inevitably would win the race. Well, now, as you just quoted, New York Times and other outlets saying, hey, there could be a rigged election here because of the Russian hacking allegations. The Times says there's a darkening cloud over Clinton's, excuse me, over Trump's presidency. And a liberal Times columnist, uh, Paul Krugman, just today says the election is tainted in part because of the hackers and in part because Hillary won the popular vote, except that this electoral college thing, you know, uh, it's in the Constitution. It is. We've all read it. You've probably got your pocket Constitution. I keep one in my purse, so we know that's actually uh, a fact. But, you know, is there any explanation or any self-reflection by any of these media outlets, do you think, who are flip-flopping? And do they see, do they have copies of what they wrote a few weeks ago? Self-reflection is not a great quality in the mainstream media. Otherwise, we'd be seeing a lot more hand-wringing about the way this past race was covered. And look, I take these CIA allegations of ha Russian hacking seriously. The fact that they were leaked anonymously to the Washington Post makes it harder to um, discern just what is real. It's all very murky, as often is the case in spycraft. But now that we have John Podesta, you know, asking for the electors to get a special briefing, mm -hmm. which is only one reason you would ask for that if you're in the Clinton campaign, and that is to get them to flip away from Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. The more the media play this up, I think the more they will be embracing a kind of a fringe theory that really could uh, end up stealing the election from the guy who won 306 electoral votes. But I thought the fringe was suggesting something crazy like a national election could be rigged. Well, look, I mean, everyone knows that even if it turns out to be true, and I think there should be an investigation, that Russian hackers were trying to undermine the election, we're obviously in favor of, of Trump and not Hillary Clinton. You know, the idea that this flipped the election when what really turned the election was Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, where Donald, where Hillary Clinton barely campaigned in two of those states, and where Donald Trump made that connection with white working-class voters who rejected the Democratic mm -hmm. nominee, that's what turned this election. So now to try to say, well, if only it had not been for Vladimir Putin, Hillary Clinton would have won, strikes me as kind of sour grapes. But I think this is going to get quite a ride in the media before uh, the electors finally vote, Shannon. All right, and there's still so many unanswered questions. So we'll stay on it. We know you will. Howie, good to see you. Indeed. To the public, 6% said it's the number one issue to them, but it's consumed 75% well, of, of coverage. Aren't if, you the least bit reluctant to true. You know, you wonder what other news you're missing, or what are we going to cover? What are we not covering today? Because we're covering this. You've got to feel a little bit of trepidation. No. That you are covering an issue that 6% of Americans tell pollsters I don't. that is most important. That if you're so concerned about what family members of presidential candidates get from Russia, or their involvement in Russia, then please explain to your viewers why you're not or never were, as a network, incensed about Bill Clinton getting a half a million dollar speaking fee in Russia and his wife turning around 
and giving 20%, being part of the 20% of the uranium rights that went to Russian interests. Why? For who Are you welcome? for sanctuary cities? You think but, that's a good well, idea? Because that I'm means the law is not being against anything. I'm a journalist. I'm not cities. an elected leader. People well, didn't okay, put so me in. Okay, so you're not for the rule of law? I am for the, for the rule of law. Of course, I'm for the rule of law. I'm an officer of the court. The, the only reason, the but only time you're going to cover, to cover that both. is because I'm here. There's plenty but, of time to cover both. We're on a 24-hour channel with an infinite website. Russia is a big story because journalists love America. Well, Jeremy, one thing that's important from your end, for the New York Times and the other great papers in this country, is that the public knew none of this. They never knew that Jeremy was meeting, I'm sorry, that, uh, that Jared was meeting with uh, the Russians, the top bank guy who was involved with sanctions and all. They never knew about Flynn and what he was doing. This administration has told us nothing on the record. They complain about leaks, but they've given us everything we know has been growing disclosure, which is when you only admit things when they're already out there. And you guys broke all these stories, and anybody who defends Trump has to defend the utter secrecy of everything they've been doing. And I think that's a very <clears> important <throat> role. The press should be a, a commended, don't you think, Senator? For uh, There's uh, so little that Trump has never admitted all this Russian shenanigans from day one. All the meetings with Carter Page and Bannafort and, and his son-in-law and, and, and Sessions as Attorney General. All these people and Flynn, all these Russian things going on all the time. And the only reason we know about it is the press. When the history of this era is written, Chris, and I mean this very sincerely, just as in the Watergate era, the heroes will be our free press. Well, look, talk about making your head spin. I mean, for the very reason, here's President Trump criticizing former President Obama for not doing anything. Well, at the time that they got this, um, this intelligence, candidate Donald Trump was telling everybody that this election was going to get rigged. Uh, in, in favor of Hillary Clinton. And that was the atmosphere that the Obama administration was dealing with publicly when they got this uh, intelligence. So we, we understand the reason why they did this. In hindsight, though, they're clearly, a bunch of Obama White House folks are clearly hand-wringing about this, that, that line, I'm never going to get over, you know, we choked. Right. Uh, that is something. Look, this could be, Willie, what the infamous August 6th president, presidential uh, intelligence daily briefing bin Laden determined to strike U.S. before 9-11, this may be the equivalent in history on this Russian uh, infiltration of the American democracy. We may go back and say this was the equivalent of that. The Obama administration had the intelligence, mm -hmm. had the smoking gun, and decided to pull back for fear of politicizing the election. And it, these distractions are more interesting to the... Uh, to the Washington press corps, to the New York press corps, than they are to the people in Actually, the middle of America. Actually, Congressman, Congressman, hold on. Not necessarily uh, to Ali and I. So it's not the press corps. I would absolutely love to focus on the agenda, sir. The president isn't. Listen, there's an unhealthy obsession with all things Russian and all things the last election by plenty of people, largely in the sir, press corps. You're right. There are times, you, sir. It is not an unhealthy sure. obsession. Do you believe that Russia interfered in the 2016 election? Tell you what, come out, name those people, then we'll have something to talk about. One, we protect sources. Two, it's not just CNN. It's Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, who? ABC, yeah, but who, NBC. Who are the sources? I'm sure. Who are the sources? Oh, because they're hiding behind this anonymity. Oh, Paul, and that's please. what we're seeing. Paul, so, please, do not even start so, with me that you're just going to attack sources. Okay, so, that what about, is so are you saying McMaster's lying? 
I'm not saying McMaster is Are lying. You? Well, he didn't really answer the question. He didn't answer he the question. He said nothing inappropriate. He said, no, that's his opinion. That would be. But that's his opinion. That you cannot say, you cannot attack. Yeah. Do not attack the stellar I'm, reporters of CNN, okay. their sources, the and the stellar reporters of CNN that I am going to attack right now and say, guess what? I don't believe them because they're na staying anonymous. If they are that, if they stand behind this story, come out, face the camera. I just say so? We ha now, the president also talking just a bit about his interactions with the fired FBI director, James Comey, and indicating that, uh, among other things, uh, he thinks uh, James Comey is... Um, yeah, let me start again. What the president Please. did say uh, about James Comey uh, in his tweet, certainly, is that uh, Comey uh, was uh, uh, giving up certain information, in other words, that he might not or might should not have been giving. I don't care what he says to the Russian prime to the, the Russians. I, I mean, okay. he's the president of the United States. If right. he wants to say that, Barack Obama wants to say whatever. Right. If George Bush says, I looked in his if eyes he took and a dump on his desk, you would defend it. Say it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what he would do that you would not and, defend. And I mean, I, you're, you're. My last my face, please. Yeah. After my election, I have more questions. Okay, that is a very long 19, well, like 15 minutes of bullshit. But you heard every angle, every it's over, he's going to get impeached, we have the proof. The nation, once again, a liberal rag. A new report raises big questions about last year's DNC hack. The nation, former NSA experts say it wasn't a hack at all but a leak, an inside job by someone with access to the DNC system. They break down the whole, Trump's horrible, Trump's going to kill us all, but the facts are the facts, which goes on for two pages. We are urged to accept the word of institutions and senior officials with long records of deception, but its certain results so far are too simply stated and frightened with implications. There was no hack of the DNC on July 5th last year, not by the Russians, not by anyone else. Hard science now demonstrate it was a leak. It was a download executed locally with a memory key or a similar portable data storage device. In short, it was an inside job by someone with access to the DNC system. This cast serious doubts on the initial hack, as alleged, that led to the very consequential publication of a large store of documents from WikiLeaks. Forensic investigations of documents made public two weeks prior to July 5th leak by the person or entity known as Guccifer 2.0 show that they were fraudulent. Before Guccifer posted them, they were adulterated by cutting and pasting them into a blank template that had Russian as its default language. Guccifer took responsibility on June 15th for the intrusion of DNC reports on June 14th and professed to be a WikiLeaks source, claims essential to the official narrative implicating Russia, in what was soon cast as an extensive hacking operation. To put the point simply, forensic science now devastates this narrative. Qualified experts working independently of one another began to examine the case immediately July 2016, prominent among these is a group of compromising, uh, com comprising 
former intelligence officers, almost all of them previously occupied senior positions. This article reflects numerous interviews with all of them conducted via person or Skype. Until recently, there was serious hindrance to the VIP's work, and I have just suggested it. The group lacked access to positive data, had no lump of cyber data, but then we got it for them. And basically, I could keep reading and breaking it down, but it's pretty simple. First, decisive findings made public in the paper dated July 9th concerned the volume of the supposedly hacked material and what it called the transfer rate, the time a remote hack would require. The metadata established several facts in this regard with a granular precision. On the evening of July 5th, 2016, 1,976 megabytes of data were downloaded from the DNC server. That operation took 87 seconds. This yields a transfer rate of 22.7 megabytes per second. That means you couldn't have done it over an internet from Romania or Russian or Putin or the Kremlin. You couldn't do it. It was too fast. Secondly, timestamps in the metadata indicate the downloading occurred somewhere on the east coast of the United States, not Russia. And understand, you can't do that with VPN connection. Your VPN connection may say you're someplace, but you can't do it through metadata. It doesn't hop you out. Those two things were put out in July. We do not know that. We were not put that out on TV. CNN, CNN has not done a breaking news. The Russia hacking is all bullshit. Because CNN's moving on to everybody's racist. Trump's racist. You're racist. Every statue in the country needs to get pulled down. You're all fucking racist. Which, by the way... The lady who does our voiceovers, who happens to be my better half, has brought out a very interesting thing. While they're saying we have to take everybody down who's racist or any statue that remotely could be appeared to be a white person, I don't hear any of these people giving up their money. Because the only thing that you could take out of our currency right now that wasn't racist, as in the portrait on it wasn't a racist, slave-owning piece of shit, would be Lincoln. So unless all you lefties are spending fivers on everything, you're pretty much bummed. All of them are racist by your premise. But back to the point. The point is, they didn't put this out. They don't want you to know this. And this was the nation. And these people are saying 90 to 100% certain there's no way it was a hat. It never could have been a hack. The download was too fast. The date stamp doesn't match Russia. There's no way. And to show you, the nation was contacted by the Democratic National Committee. This is an editor note on their article. This came once again from their website. The nation, with a response, writing, U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded the Russian government hacked the DNC in an attempt to interfere in the election. Any suggestion otherwise is false and is just another conspiracy theory like those pushed by Trump and his administration. It's unfortunate that the nation has decided to join conspiracy theorists 
to push this narrative. The Dancy knows. CNN knows. MSDNC knows. The resistance knows. They're not saying anything because they want to keep a little nugget on the side. They know that you're not going to be able to drag out this Charleston stuff that long. Or Charlottesville, sorry. Or Virginia. I always screw up the town. It's not going to last. America's already getting bored with this shit. I'll prove in the next podcast. I guarantee by now the freaking ratings are going down on CNN because they've been nonstop. Everybody's a fucking racist. Trump's a racist. You're a racist. We're all a racist. I'm going to make a song because that's what it's about. But that only works for a while. Unless a bunch of nationalists are out there killing people, you can't keep it going. And they're not killing people. They're never going to cover the alt-left. So they're going to run out of things. They're going to go back to Russia. But understand, that's not Breibart. That didn't come from Bannon. So Patrick and Paige, you got some splaining to do. There was no way it was a hack. And now we go back to the dude, that the staffer that was killed, and wow, we're not even researching that. New York Times not researching it, WAPO's not researching it, CNN, ABC, NBC, none of them are researching it. They're not looking into that shit. So maybe dude wasn't killed. Maybe the people walking around saying he was killed because he's the hacker. Maybe they don't wear tinfoil hats, folks, because it was a goddamn thumb drive. Somebody thumb-dried the shit off and handed it off to WikiLeaks. Probably a Bernie bro. It once again shows our media is so complicit in supporting the Democratic National Party, they forgot, as they pontificate about Trump, their job is to keep the American people appraised of what's going on in Washington. Give us the truth, Jim Acosta. So why don't you stop bitching about televised press conferences and tweeting pictures of your fucking gay socks? Gay in a happy way. Why didn't you report this, Jim Acosta? Chuck Todd, while you're shaking over the president saying there's an alt-left, maybe you should be reporting this on Meet the Press. Cold day in hell, I'll see it. MPT, M, MTP Daily is caught up in everybody's a racist. And if you don't automatically disavow everything Trump does right now, you're complicit in that racist like Jim or Don Lemon. More to follow on this on the close of the loop. I'm going to search for other articles, but I ran out of time on this one. So we don't have a new social media nuggets. We're wrapping into Tuesday. Tuesday, I will be doing an afternoon podcast full of fun, stupid, retarded, just idiotic lefty shit that I have missed because I have been disconnected. I'll get some more on Bannon, and I'll get some more on probably five more people that are fired between now. Who knows? Maybe Trump will be impeached by the time I do a podcast on Tuesday. They're moving fast. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments about the track by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Thoughtpodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, 
Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Fly Politic webpage at foppodcast.com. Poppodcast.com. It's a theme. There you can see links to feed to the show, links to our Facebook page, and email us. Additionally, you'll see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Once again, next podcast will be Tuesday, and that is going to be the 22nd of August, year of our Lord, 2017. Thank you very much for listening to this. If you did, I really apologize for the sound quality. The blueberry, or the blue, excuse me, snowball is definitely not as good as my blackout Yeti mic at the house. I will once again be in vacation mode until next time. No blogs, no posts, no nothing. Until next Tuesday, my friends. Thanks for listening. Take care. We'll close out the show with some Beach Boys, because I'm in Let's Beach Let's go mode. surfing now, everybody's learning how. Come on a safari with me. Come on a safari with me. Early in the morning we'll be starting out. Some honeys will be coming along. We're loading up our woody with the boards inside and heading out to singing our song. Come on, baby, wait and see. Yes, I'm gonna take you surfing Everybody's learning how Come on a safari with me